Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 15th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 to 27. In the 25th year of Ezekiel's exile, the Lord shows his prophet a vision of the new temple, the fulfillment of his promise that Israel will be his people and he will be their God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Oppel. It's always a great joy to be with you. How are things going there in Fort Wayne? What events do you have coming up? Yeah, so things are going really well here in Fort Wayne. We've had a fantastic fall. We just finished up our uh, Good Shepherd Institute for church musicians and those interested in hymns and liturgy and uh, had a wonderful group here. So things feel like they really get to a very nice normal. Coming up here in uh, January, we've got our annual symposia here. If you're a prospective student and are interested in learning from some world-class theologians, we'd love to have you come stay with us for that little bit of time. And if you're a prospective student, talk about discounts for that program, uh, that conference, that our symposia. That's the third week in January. And then come the spring, we roll into the cycle of more visitation events, including our Springs Prayerfully Consider visit, which is March 17th through the 19th. And registration for that is on our website at ctsfw.edu. That symposia, it always looks very interesting, Pastor Wheatfelt, but y'all host it in January. It's pretty cold in Fort Wayne in January, from what I'm told. Yeah, they are not wrong, whoever has told you that. It's one of the colder times, and but at the same time, the, the, the camaraderie and the livelihood of the community warms this place up quite nicely. So yeah, Tim, we'd love to have you come spend some time with us also January 18th through the 21st. I know it's not going to beat the, the probably the 60s and 70s weather <laughs> you guys have down in, in Texas, but yeah, you know, you can always wear more clothes when you get up <laughs> to the north. <laughs> That's right. That's right. One of these years, I do intend to get up there for that because y'all, y'all always look like it. I mean, it's just a fantastic program that y'all put together. And that's, you know, I mean, I know you mentioned for prospective students, of course, but for pastors. And I would imagine for laity too, that there's a lot there that even the laity would get out of the symposium as well. Absolutely. It's, it's just a great space to be able to think critically about theology, but also know that the that you're getting the goods. Know that you're hearing the forgiveness of Christ as he continues to live out his life and his love through us, but to but also to to dive into some really deep, hard-hitting things, as well as some very, very modern things as well, things that are very relevant to us today. One of our one of our professors, uh, Dr. Peter Scare, is going to be talking about critical theory and the dangers therein. And I know many of our, our listeners are concerned about that as well. And, you know, it's something that you can learn a great deal from some from our world-class uh, 
theology faculty here during that time. And that's just one, one uh, session, plenty of other sessions to, to go around and to be able to learn from. Certainly. So, so if you want to brave the cold of Fort Wayne, Indiana in January of 2022, check that out. Uh, ctsfw.edu. That's the website. Look for the information on the symposia. Sounds like a, a great opportunity to grow in your faith. We've got that opportunity today, Pastor Wheatfelt, looking at Ezekiel chapter 40. And this is going to be a pretty big transition in the book of Ezekiel, one of the major dividing points as we think about the prophet, his ministry, and what he's been preaching. We've got a, a really a brand new section that starts here today. So as, as we prepare to start that section today, remind us of where we've been in Ezekiel. What's he been doing up to this point in his ministry? Absolutely. Ezekiel as a prophet is one who is there to proclaim the word of God, both in that time to those people, but also with a vision towards things that are not yet seen, things that are not yet reality and that are uh, going to be coming for and to the people of God, whether it be this people of God in today, that is the time in which Ezekiel is speaking, or the future people of God as it is revealed in a late, at a later date in a later time. So Ezekiel as a prophet is, is one of those faithful men that is proclaiming the coming of the Lord's Messiah into the future, not knowing, and him himself not knowing. The, the prophets all speak through what some some scholars have said are clouded glasses. That is, they see things in, in, in part, but they don't see them in the fullness. They don't see them in the whole because they're, they're not privy to that. They're not called to that, to see the fullness of it. Just like Moses wasn't you know, in, in, in his time, wasn't able to see the promised land in its fullness, but only in part, only continuing to lead the people of Israel into through through the lands. But then he wasn't able to himself to partake in that. So too, the prophets continue to look towards the future, not knowing exactly what is going to happen, not being able to tell you times and dates and things like that, but being able to see dimly see through, again, clouded glasses, the things that are going to happen to them, to the people of Israel, to God's people, and how that is going to come to its fullness through them. And so Ezekiel's, I mean, the reason Ezekiel's writing is just for that. He, he's here to explain many things. And one of those is going to be why the glory of the Lord is going to depart, is going to leave from Israel through Israel's unfaithfulness. The Lord is going to, to bring on wrath, is going to bring, is going to breathe anger upon the children of Israel because of their unfaithfulness, their idolatry, their love for others other than him. But he's also going to remember how he, the bad glory does ultimately return. He shows us how that glory will return and in what way that, that will return as well. And so, uh, you know, the major theme then for Ezekiel's writing is how is God's anger, how is God's anger turned towards Israel and how that anger then is then stayed in his remembrance of them, of his love for them and his covenant with them. And that covenant that ultimately binds them together, that 
God is their God and they are his people. And this is who we are. And we're in relationship with each other. And just because you have forgotten the way doesn't mean that I will forget the way. So says the Lord. And so, yeah, the the Lord continues to show to the children great mercy, but also as a, as children need to be disciplined. So God disciplines the children of Israel in order to teach them the way in which they should go, that they may not depart from that way, even after they have, have departed from it. So that's just a little bit on, on, on the, on themes and purpose of why Ezekiel's writing. Pastor Wheatfield, that's a very helpful introduction and reminder of everything Ezekiel has been doing up to this point. Just as a quick reminder in terms of the structure of the book, those first couple chapters, Ezekiel gets his call all the way through about chapter 24, Ezekiel is preaching really heavy law and condemnation for the people of Israel. Chapters 25 through 32, that's where Ezekiel preaches against the nations. And then in chapters 33 through 39, there's a lot of gospel promises, comfort of restoration for God's people, Israel. That's what we've been reading in the last couple of chapters, the Lord through the the war against Gog and of Magog. We saw how the Lord's going to take care of all of his people's enemies. He's going to leave them in perfect peace and security. And now in chapter 40 through 48, this is really the last section of Ezekiel. We've got a new section, a pretty big turning point. So Pastor Wheatfeld, as we look at the first part of chapter 40, help to introduce this section as a whole. What are we going to see Ezekiel do in these last several chapters of his book? So in these last chapters of his book, Ezekiel is going to show us this vision of the fulfillment of what he has previously been talking about. He's going to take what was previously said and now open our eyes to see how it finds its fullness and its fulfillment through the working of the Lord. And so in this first section, we're going to see really a vision of what the Lord is giving in his new temple, in his new um in his new place, in his new, in the place of, of worship for him and his people and how that was all going to, to work out. This is a vision though. And it's very difficult to kind of grasp our minds, wrap our minds around what he is saying, especially in light of what we'd previously seen where he was speaking more literally, but now is speaking in vision towards the future and a heavenly vision really of what God is doing for his people and how this is ultimately going uh, to work out for the people. What Ezekiel is declaring this to the people there right now, but he's also proclaiming it to uh, us as we are the people of God in today. And uh, as he continues to give us, give us all good things through Christ alone. And one of the major themes that he can't really put his full mind around is going to be how ultimately for us and for all people, Christ is the one who fulfills all things for us. And that how how we are really the beneficiaries of the gift of Christ in his life and, and, and what he has given to us. So we're not looking at this, at what we're going to see from 40 on as some sort of blueprint or template for how the 
end of times is going to work similar to that in Revelation. We're not looking at it as a blueprint or uh, any of the other eschatological writings, the end of days writings, which this is brilliant that we are now spend these t- this time, you know, November 15 and on looking at these, this text, because we are dealing, we are at the end of our church's year, getting ready to begin a new church year at Advent 1. And so thinking of, you know, the church is already living within this time of thinking about the end times and thinking about how the end of time is going to look. And whereas the world meets that with fear and trepidation, we as Christians meet that with joy, meet that with thanksgiving, with our prayer always being Maranatha, come soon and come soon, Lord Jesus, that he may continue uh, the good work that he has begun in us and bring that to completion at the day of his coming. So Again, we're not looking at this, but we're going to see from 40 and on as any sort of blueprint for the end of time. But we would, we do see this as an image, as an, in many ways, as an icon of how these things are going to happen and how Christ continues to work for us as his people. And we simply being the beneficiaries of the blood of the lamb who was slain for us. I appreciate that you said that this is a difficult section of Ezekiel and a difficult section of Scripture in general. And in in many ways, your response there in introducing this section is anticipating of what I'm about to to ask you, because Dr. Hummel, in his commentary on the book of Ezekiel, when he introduces this section of Ezekiel, he says this, From almost any perspective, these chapters are among the most formidable and challenging in the entire Bible. (laughs) If Dr. Hummel, who's the expert on Ezekiel, if if he said that we're going to do the best that we can, but I guess with, with that in mind... Pastor Wheatfelt, knowing that this is going to be a difficult section, there's going to be some parts in here that you just kind of have to I mean, slog through. There's going to be lots of measurements that we're maybe not sure what to do with and details that are going to sometimes be a little hazy. Sometimes even the Hebrew is not entirely positive what some of these words mean in terms of the architecture. I think your answer has already helped us with this, but knowing that this is going to be a challenging, formidable section, how how should we approach a section like of like a section of scripture like this so that we can get benefit from it as Christians still Absolutely. today. Absolutely. All scripture is useful for teaching and reproof. And it be why, as the apostle writes, because it is God breathed. That's why scripture is useful for teaching and reproof and continued preaching and the like. So while this may be difficult for us to get our minds around, it's, it, it is still what the Lord gives to us in way of showing his love for us. And, uh, and even though we can't completely understand all things, he still shares with us uh, that, you know, a sliver and a promise. And that promise is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And in that, he continues to give to us his life and his love from the cross of his son, 
our Lord Jesus Christ as he pours out his blood. So many bloods uh, were shed of so many different animals in the first temple. So we are no, in no longer need of that because Christ has shed his blood once for all as the full payment, as the apostle writes, the propitiation for our sins. And so we give thanks to God for these difficult passages that, you know, sometimes it's just not clear. I think Revelation is the same way where the apostle John is trying to lay out for us things that are difficult, things that are kind of weird and otherworldly and difficult for us to see and understand completely. But at the end of it all, what I think the ultimate takeaway should be for us is that Christ has won the victory and God has all things under control. And if there is one, one thing that I wish we as Christians took to heart more and more each day is that God really does have things under control. And, you know, this is all working out for him as he plans for our benefit. And, you know, even if those, even if the trials that we experience in this world are, even if the trials that we experience in this world are, are suffering, that they are persecution, even death by the sword, that is still for our good, for to me to live is Jesus and to die is gain for me, as the hymn says. So all this is for our good. All this is for our, our blessing, whether it's good, whether it's in good things that we're blessed, whether it's in bad or even the ugly things, the Lord continues to use all things for the good of those who love him. And I think in, in this context for Ezekiel, particularly for him to end his book with this vision of this new temple, this heavenly temple, this idyllic temple, again, not a blueprint, as you said, this temple is not intended to be built, but to see this vision at the end, what a comfort to those people in exile who by this time know that the temple back in Jerusalem has been destroyed. And they've heard through Ezekiel's preaching previously that the glory of the Lord had left that temple. I mean, you know, there's several, and we'll find this out as we, we read, that there's several years into this now, several years removed from that destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. The question is kind of, you know, now what? I mean, has the glory of the Lord departed forever? Are we lost? And, and so for this vision here at the end, where they're going to see this temple and its many dimensions and the glory of the Lord's going to return and a lot of other things that, that I don't want to spoil too much for the, the shows ahead. But I mean, that that vision as a whole really does show the Lord's work through history to fulfill his promises, to fulfill ultimately the promise to bring Jesus into the world. And and this vision is a part of that and points toward it. And I, I can't remember exactly how you, you talked about how you, it, the prophets see through, through a, a mirror darkly, to, to use the way the King James <laughs> translated one of Paul's statements. And I think we're going to see that in this vision, that there's going to be, you know, Ezekiel is, is very much using Old Testament language here, and particularly the language of a priest who knows the temple. And so what he's seeing is very much couched in that Old Testament terminology that he's familiar with and the exiles are familiar with it as well. But there's so much New Testament reality that he's pointing toward. And it's just, it's going to be quite striking, I think, as we go through not only this text, but this whole section to see how you know, Ezekiel really, while he's certainly there in the Old Testament, he is starting to see a little more clearly the things that are to come 
And with all its difficulties that it's going to present for us, I think we're going to see through this text more clearly because of what Ezekiel's written Absolutely. for us here. And I think, you know, we have to hold as the, as the end goal that the fulfillment of all things is through Christ and that this is how the Lord brings about his, 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 his coming, his first coming, his final coming. And this is how the Lord uh, will continue to work for his people, for us, for you, as he continues to share in, uh, in all things with you, as you are one who he has called into the faith through the waters of holy baptism, into, through his blood, and continues to nourish you through his word and his sacraments. So with no further ado, let's jump into this text. We're again in Ezekiel 40 this morning. We're starting at verse 1. I'm going to read just the introduction to this section as the vision is introduced to Ezekiel. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God he brought me to the land of Israel, and set me down on a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. That takes us through verse four. The vision itself is going to begin in verse five. So let's begin to look at that introduction on this side of the break, Pastor Wheatfelt. Tell us a little bit about the time. This is the 25th year of our exile. We're familiar with this from Ezekiel. He dates many of his prophecies. What's the time period that we're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. So 25 years after the exile. And I think it's very important to realize, to, to, to think of it in that way. You know, we're not talking about somebody else's clock. We're talking about this time, a, a, an, an event in the life of Israel that has utterly shaped the, the life of the people, the exile. And so they're 25 years in, we're looking, we're, pro- we're probably 14 years after the destruction of the temple. So that is in Jerusalem. So the people that are in exile definitely would have heard by now that their temple, the temple of their God has been destroyed 14 years later. And they've had to dwell within that fact for some time. And it, it, it's utterly devastating to, to think about that. You know, it's, it's in many ways for kind of similar to us, the way we keep time, you know, we're now 20 years after uh, 9-11, that, that moment that has really changed and shaped our country for what it is. And we still look back at that as a moment in time that has shaped who we are. So it, in, 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 um, not putting either kind of in, uh, you know, equal to one another, it, it's similar though, that this is how the Israelites are now keeping time for themselves, that the, in this moment that has, that has shaped them as a people fully and has brought them to the place that they are, the place that they, the last place in the world that they would want to be in exile where they, where, where they're left and feel one, they feel forgotten by God Two, They feel that God has 
not just forgotten them, but deserted them. And his glory has left them because the temple has been destroyed. The, the beacon of hope that is theirs, it, that was that the Lord continued to work through is now no longer. And it, it's utterly devastating for them. Yeah, I mean, this has been Ezekiel's way of dating things all along, is according to the years of his exile. And here again, he's 25 years into his exile. And, and as you pointed out, 14 years after the actual fall of Jerusalem, we'll remember that Ezekiel left Jerusalem or was taken away from Jerusalem before the city itself fell. About 10 years prior in, in 598, the city fell in 587 along with the temple. And and now that's, again, the, the timeline. It does, it strikes me, and I'm not sure if, if there's something to this. You know, the 25th year of their exile, that's a long time in. 14 years, as you said, that's a long time to contemplate the fall of the city. At the very beginning of the book, in verse 1, it, you know, it's the 30th year, which that 30, most folks would say, is probably how old Ezekiel is mm -hmm. at that point. And then in verse 2, you find out that was the fifth year of the exile. And so I was doing a little bit of math here, and I, I'm not sure if there's something to make of this. It, it may be nothing, but it, it, if that's correct, that the 30th year in verse 1 is how old he is, and that's five years into the, his exile, then he went into exile when he was 25. Mm -hmm. And so now it's 25 years later. You know, he's been in exile as long as he was in Jerusalem. And I don't know if there's anything to that or not. It, it does seem that would be a, if that's the case, that would be appropriate, perhaps that's the right word, an appropriate timeline for the Lord to now give Ezekiel. And of course, the exiles with him, you know, this beautiful vision of this temple. But maybe we can come back to that more on the other side of the break because we do need to take that. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're talking the first part of Ezekiel 40 with Pastor Matt. We felt we will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 15th. We're studying Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 to 27 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. He's the director of admissions and the director of the Christ Academy program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, we were looking at these first four verses, the introduction to this section as a whole. One of the things that we, we need to understand about this section of Ezekiel, and I think you've mentioned this already, is that this temple that Ezekiel is going to see is not meant as a blueprint for something that is to be built, but we're going to understand a lot of this in symbolical terms and in a way similar to the way you'd interpret the book of Revelation. Why is it that we, we're we going to take the text that way? What are some of the indicators that that's the appropriate way to read this text rather than as a blueprint for something to be Absolutely. built? Absolutely. So like I said before, you know, Ezekiel is trying to convey to the people in heavenly things in human terms. So similar to what John does in the Revelation, he's, he's just trying to lock in and help kind of get our own mind's eye to understand exactly 
what is going on here? Because it's very difficult. It's very you know cumbersome on the mind to try to wade through all of this. And so, yeah, so Ezekiel's not trying to give us any sort of blueprint, but, you know, trying to give to us this idea that, you know, there, there are certain things and that, that, that help to uh, help us understand what the rest of how the rest of the scripture explains out what this all means. And so we'll see doors facing in all sorts of different directions. And instead of, you know, saying that is a, you know, a minute point that has no kind of bearings that it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. We have the ordinal directions of how this thing was sitting. No, that actually means something because scripture actually talks about these things. Scripture actually talks about the four winds from coming from the four corners of the world and, and, and the people and talking about the people of the world and, and all that kind of stuff in, in, in this ordinal directional sort of way that, and so instead of trying to, you know, figure out how is this thing sitting, it's, oh, this is meant to be a thing for all peoples of the world. And so on and so forth. And uh, so I want to dive in and, 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 you know, spoil anything for us as we continue on. But, you know, thinking, you know, in, 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 exege- in exegetical terms, it's, it's very important to see these not as a blueprint, but knowing that, that the Lord gave this to Ezekiel in order to explain a bigger reality than simply just this, you know, the, what, how big this temple was, how, and, and for us to then reproduce this thing, he's not trying to do that. One of the reasons, and one of the things that we know uh, is that this is a vision right out of the gate. He lays out that this is a vision and he lays out that, you know, he, the man that we'll see with the rod, with the rod of, of measurement is not trying to me- actually measure the thing to say, okay, now you go do this, but instead He's going to, he's simply there showing that, you know, we are all measured in some extent and that, it, that the Lord's measuring of us finds us measuring up too short. But, but thanks be to God, you know, our measurement doesn't matter as much as, well, it doesn't matter to the point of how we measure up, but it's how Christ's gifts, how Christ's forgiveness measures up against the weight of that measurement or the weight of the law. Uh, so. There, you'll, we'll continue to see as we go out throughout this, these now, uh, the next eight, nine chapters, how this all works together for uh, us as Christians and, and how this ultimately shows a greater reality, a reality beyond that of just simple measurements, but a reality of that is defined by the forgiveness that Christ gives, the Christ justifying us sinners. And how he continues to to work that out for our good. Tell us more about this man. We meet him there in verse three, and he speaks in verse four. It sounds like he's going to act as Ezekiel's tour guide of sorts. Who is this man? We're told he looks like bronze. He's got a linen cord, the measuring reed. Tell us about him and the features we learn. Absolutely. Here. So this man, in many ways, has some sort of angelic is some sort of angelic figure that is intended to lead Ezekiel through the whole of, of this time together. It's He's very similar to the man in, in, in Revelation. We see this guy, you know, in, uh, we, we see this, we see a, folks getting talked about in Daniel and Isaiah as well. That's, you know, the who he is, is not 
quite as pinned down as what we would like it to be. So we have to kind of hold it in tension. It could be an angelic figure. The other person, it could be the pre-incarnate Christ. As he continues to pop up from time to time as one in these important salvation stories are highlighted in these salvation stories. So, I mean, this is everyone from, from, you know, my favorite being Melchizedek, because I like the name, but the priest Melchizedek with Abram and Sarah all the way through Daniel, or sorry, the, the three men in the fiery furnace. And then the fourth man, there's a fourth man in there and who, whose face is like the son of man, I believe the, the text says, and I could have gotten that wrong, uh, but you all know what I'm say, trying to say. And, and others along the same vein, uh, this pre-incarnate Christ uh, who pops in from time to time, uh, especially for in the important moments in salvation history in order to in, you know, give his blessing, be there to care for his people. But then in this vision, he's there. And so again, if, if it's the pre-incarnate Christ, if it's just an angelic figure, I don't think it, 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 it matters a whole lot or like pinning it down doesn't matter. But knowing that it could be one of those two, I think is, it's just not some random Joe Schmo. This is, this is a head of vision and it's an important thing. It's trying, you know, it's, it, in even having a tour guide to walk with kind of to explain, I mean, and I, I use explain lightly, but to, to kind of walk you through it, 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 it's this whole thing is important to show you the important things, but also to keep you from straying down the things that may, you may think are important and hold your eyes to the things that are truly important. Yeah. I, you know, this man, as he's said there in verse three, I'm sure there's folks who would say, you know, pre-incarnate Christ, angelic figure, pinning him down precisely is probably not entirely possible and not, not ultimately the point. You know, on the one hand, one thing that strikes me is that in verse four, when this man speaks, he addresses Ezekiel as son of man, which is the way that the Lord has consistently addressed Ezekiel throughout the book as son of man. So, you know, whether or not that means he is the pre-incarnate Christ, I'm not sure. But I do think that indicates he is speaking for God. He is acting on God's behalf in giving Ezekiel this tour. I, I prob and again, without going too far afield from what we've got in our text, I probably lean a little more away from identifying with this man as the pre-incarnate Christ because there's going to be a, a figure that's going to show up later who's called the prince in this section of Ezekiel, and, and he's several chapters down the road, but he shares a lot of the features of the pre-incarnate Christ. And again, kind of to go back to something we talked about on the, the first side of the break, that this is, you know, Ezekiel is going to be seeing things in Old Testament terms. And if we're not able to make precise identifications with something that, you know, like we want to say, this is Jesus, period. Well, if, if we can't do that's going to be okay. Because again, Ezekiel is seeing through that glass darkly. We're going to see Christ, no doubt, but not with the same clarity as obviously we see him in the, the pages Absolutely. of the gospel. He, we just, regardless of who this, the man or a man is, yeah, we, we just won't see him to, or see him, even if he is, you know, the pre-incarnate Christ, um, we won't see him clearly because we are not intended to see him clearly because I think that's the beautiful thing about prophecy. We could so easily get caught up in the prophecies that we miss the thing that actually matters. 
that we've missed the culmination of the prophecies. So I think that's the blessing that the Lord gives to the prophets is that it, he doesn't allow for them to stumble over themselves thinking like that this is the moment, this is the moment. And but so because he kind of clouds their vision, it always forces them to say, you know, it always forces them to point into the future and to say, yeah, this, you know, this is not the fullness. This is not the culmination until we finally get to Christ himself. And if there, I mean, you just, you follow the birth narratives in Matthew and Luke and huge, I mean, it's just, it's like fireworks going off that this is the moment from the yeah. angels, from, from the shepherds, the wise, the wise men, the magi to uh, Simeon uh, in the temple and Anna in the temple, like just in, you know, thinking in, in terms of Matthew and Luke's gospels, like it is just like fireworks constantly going off, showing to us that this is the Christ. He's here. He's, and this is the, like, looky here. This is the one who is to fulfill all things, all these things. Hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, I think that ties in very nicely to what the man says to Ezekiel there in verse four. And notice the, you know, look with your eyes, hear with your ears, set your heart upon all of this that I'm going to show you. And then by the end of it, declare what you see to the house of Israel. While Ezekiel, you know, still is seeing something that's far off by looking carefully with his eyes, listening carefully with his ears, setting his heart upon this. And then all the people of God doing that, when you've got that, when you've got Ezekiel 40 through 48 in your heart and mind, when Jesus shows up, like you said, you're going to, everything's going to be going off. This is the guy. Everything, suddenly when I see Jesus in the gospels, everything that that is here in Ezekiel 40 through 48 makes sense. And, and you know, you're mentioning both Matthew and Luke. I, and I think with Ezekiel, it's going to become plain, particularly with mm-hmm. John. You've mentioned some of the connections yeah. to Revelation. And and I'm thinking particularly in, in John chapter 2, where John makes the comment you know, talking about Jesus when he we talks about destroying the temple, you know, John says we didn't know it at the time, but after he was raised from the dead, we realized he was talking about yeah. his body. That's the <laughs> temple, and of course, that's going to be a huge connection to this section of Ezekiel. So, again, uh, encouragement for going through some of these difficult chapters where the details are some kind of sometimes going to make us scratch our heads. Having this picture in our hearts and minds is going to make the clarity that we see in Jesus. E- even more clear, if that's possible, that this is going to really open our eyes to the all that Jesus is doing, both in the Gospels and for us still today. So with that, let's jump into some of these details. We're going to start hearing a lot of measurements and working kind of from the outside of this temple in. We're going to be in the, the outer parts of this temple in today's show, and we're going to be working our way in as the, the text progresses through these chapters. So we're picking up in Ezekiel 40, verse 5 now. And behold, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple area, and the length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed, and the height, one reed. Then he went into the gateway facing east, going up its steps, and measured the threshold of the gate, one reed deep. And the side rooms, one reed long and one reed broad, and the space between the side rooms, five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the vestibule of the gate at the inner end, one reed. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway on the inside, one reed. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and its jams, two cubits, 
and the vestibule of the gate was at the inner end. And there were three side rooms on either side of the east gate. The three were of the same size, and the jams on either side were of the same size. Then he measured the width of the opening of the gateway, 10 cubits, and the length of the gateway, 13 cubits. There was a barrier before the side rooms, one cubit on either side, and the side rooms were six cubits on either side. Then he measured the gate from the ceiling of the one side room to the ceiling of the other, a breadth of 25 cubits. The openings faced each other. He measured also the vestibule, 20 cubits, and around the vestibule of the gateway was the court. From the front of the gate at the entrance to the front of the inner vestibule of the gate was 50 cubits. And the gateway had windows all around, narrowing inwards toward the side rooms and toward their jams. And likewise, the vestibule had windows all around inside, and on the jams were palm trees. Then he brought me into the outer court. And behold, there were chambers and a pavement all around the court. Thirty chambers faced the pavement, and the pavement ran along the side of the gates, corresponding to the length of the gates. This was the lower pavement. Then he measured the distance from the inner front of the lower gate to the outer front of the inner court, a hundred cubits on the east side and on, a nor on the north side. As for the gate that faced toward the north, belonging to the outer court, he measured its length and its breadth. Its side rooms, three on either side, and its jams and its vestibule were of the same size as those of the first gate. Its length was 50 cubits and its breadth 25 cubits. And its windows, its vestibule, and its palm trees were of the same size as those of the gate that faced toward the east. And by seven steps, people would go up to it and find its vestibule before them. And opposite the gate on the north, as in the east, was a gate to the inner court. And he measured from gate to gate a hundred cubits. And he led me toward the south, and behold, there was a gate on the south. And he measured its jams and its vestibule. They had the same size as the others. Both it and its vestibule had windows all around, like the windows of the others. Its length was 50 cubits, and its breadth 25 cubits. And there were seven steps leading up to it, and its vestibule was before them, and it had palm trees on its jams, one on either side. And there was a gate on the south of the inner court. And he measured from gate to gate toward the south, a hundred cubits. That is the rest of our text for today. That was Ezekiel 40 verses 5 to 27. Just briefly, Pastor Wheatfelt, if you, to our, to those listening, if you have a Lutheran study Bible, page 1379 in the Lutheran study Bible has a diagram that I find particularly helpful trying to picture all this in your mind. We're talking about how challenging this text is. One of the challenges is the fact that we're talking about something that you really need to see. Mm -hmm. And so, if you've got a Lutheran study Bible, page 1379 has a helpful diagram. Pastor, we felt just for your information, we got about nine minutes to talk through this text. Help us. I mean, what are we talking about here? Just help us to get the big picture it, with all these measurements and, and vestibules and this looked like that. Just help us to get a real big picture view of what's yeah, being talked ultimately, about Ultimately, I think when we come to see what it is the Lord is showing to us, it's this perfection uh, and everything is just so intricately laid out that it, it just, it's so smooth and crisp and clean and spot on. And as we reflect on its perfection, we reflect, we should also rightly reflect on our imperfection and how we are not when we measure ourselves against the law, we always fail. And because we cannot complete the law 
ourselves. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus that he has given us not a a free pass. He doesn't give us a free pass from the law. He doesn't stop the law from existing. Instead, he gives us one in his son to stay the accusation of the law, to forgive us, to atone for us what the things that we have done wrong and the things that uh, that, 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 that continue that the devil continues to use as a way of accusation towards us and are not keeping up the law. His blood covers us. And because his blood covers us, it covers us fully and completely. Not, not any bit of us is not covered by it through the waters of holy baptism. And so we must continue to retreat into that, to continue to live in that, to continue to reside, abide within that. For outside of that, there is nothing we can do for ourselves at all. And so that's something I think as the man walks Ezekiel around, it's something that sticks into my mind that this is perfect. Everything about this is, is perfect and it's beautiful. Now, I'm thinking in way of the, with the first temple, you know, the, the, as Ezekiel is being taken along, he's going to move through the, from the outer gates to the, and see the other gates that there are, the south gate, the north gate. But then he's going to move even just in this next section into the inner courts in the temple, the original temple, the outer gate is where anybody could be, Jew and Gentile alike. But the inner gate is where just those who are part of the household of faith of Israel are able to be. But in Christ, those requirements are all stayed, all are welcome to the innermost parts because of who, what Christ has done for us. The same, the same thing goes for the gates, the, south, the north gate and the south gate and the east-facing gate. It's to draw our minds to the fact that this temple isn't exclusive any longer. It isn't for the quote-unquote, chosen people of God. No, this is for all people. This is a place where all peoples of all languages, of all nations, and when I say all the people, uh, all the chosen, I'm, I'm speaking about the Israelites. I'm speaking about, I'm speaking about the first covenant that the Lord made that, made that made Israel his chosen people. In Christ, he makes all people from all tribes and languages and nations his people. So it's no longer exclusive to one bloodline, one people. It's to all people who have faith within him and who, how, how he has continued to uh, give to us faith full for who we are. And, uh, it, you know, it is a great joy. It's, it's a great joy to see that the Lord is not exclusive, that the Lord, the Lord continues to include all people. In into what he is called to do. And it's a great thing because we think about, you know, our knowledge of scripture, um, when Christ ascends into heaven following his resurrection, you know, in Matthew 28, he says, go and make, baptize and teach. And who are we to do this to? To all people. And that's what the church does. The early church figured that out. And we as church must continue to reside within that as well, that the, the, the forgiveness of Christ is for all people. 
in all languages and all places as something that the Lord's going to do. The Lord continues to enact. And we see that both in, you know, first we see that, saw that, and as the gospel spread throughout out the world and continues to spread throughout the world. And whereas I think Luther is right, there are times where the gospel, the reins of the gospel leave a place and move on to another place. We, we're seeing that right now where the reins of the gospel are having its full fruit in Africa and Asia, but it's drying up in Europe and in America as well. And it, it, it's a scary time for us Christians. However, we know that the church is really universal. The church is is, is is the fullness of what God gives. And, you know, he does not leave us or forsake us. And he gives to us brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, in all times, in all places, in all languages and, and nations. And we, as we have prayed for those who, who are falling on challenging and, and trying and persecuted times, so they also will pray for us when that time becomes our own. You know, just this talk of the outer court and all these entrances that we see already and that we'll keep seeing as we go into the inner court with the next text, I think it's a good reminder that the fact that the Lord provides an entrance at all is such a, a huge deal. And he doesn't have to provide an entrance to his presence or to his holiness, but he does. And, and knowing the fullness in Christ, as you said, he does this for all nations. Again, seeing how this temple, like the temple, the actual building that was was built under Solomon's time, was pointing to something more, to something greater, to the fullness in Christ. Pastor Wheatfelt, we got about two minutes, lots of details here, but again, help us see in this text how we see Christ through this vision mm-hmm. of this new temple. Christ is both the, it really ultimately is both the high priest for this temple, giving us access to this temple, but it's the temple himself that we, we reside in knowing that he continues to give to us the things that are needed. I mean, as, as you continue on throughout looking at this, the rest of this, the temple and the temple compound and what is all there, this is a place of worship and it's a place that we reside within, we abide within and we're really able to just be who we truly have been made to be as in this place. And so I think it does show, you know, the importance of what it is that we do even on this side of glory in regard to worship and our worship spaces, because we build them as places in order to truly and kind of in a focused way, worship God, that the world is uh, separate from, and the world is different from. And, you know, I really, you know, you think about how the Lord continues to give his gifts and how we continue to give our thanks and praise. And he is the one who holds all those things in his hands and carries us through to the end of our time. And it's Christ who gives us access to the Father uh, through his blood and through the forgiveness of our sins. Pastor Matt Wheatfelt is Director of Admissions and the Director of Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 to 27. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor Apple. Uh, Just a joy to always be with you. 
I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Tim the Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.